So we're in a series right now uh, where we're talking about the kingdom of God and the larger picture of everything we've been talking about in these series. The reason why Jesus has so many uh, messages or so many stories that start with the kingdom of God is like, is he's talking to us about the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world that we live in. And there's big differences between the two. Um, But one of the biggest things is this, is that if you live inside the kingdom of God, and I know that not everybody in the room right now is uh, a religious person. I know that some of you were invited here to hear the message, to hear the music, to meet some friends, and you're just checking things out. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's fantastic. But here's, here's one of the things that's true for us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, people who walk with God. As we've looked at all of these different parables, one thing seems to emerge, and that is our primary identity before anything else is that we are followers of Jesus first and foremost, that you can't put anything else before that. There's nothing else. You're not a capitalist before that. You're not a political party before that. You're not, you're not you know, your sexuality before that. You're not anything before that. You are first and foremost a follower of Jesus, and then everything else begins to fall in place, right? The Bible teaches us that when we seek first the kingdom of God, he will add all of these other things unto us. What does that mean? It means that there is clarity that comes from having God as first priority in your life. Now, today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about a parable called the unmerciful servant, and we're going to talk about forgiveness. But as I prayed about this over the last couple of weeks, I knew that God was saying something to me, and that is we're not going to talk about how to be forgiven. We're going to talk about what it means for us to be able to forgive other people. I think the how to be forgiven thing is a lot easier sometimes than how to forgive someone else. And so there are people in the room, some of you, who have been in bondage to unforgiveness for a long time. And it's one of the things that has actually wrecked and stopped your spiritual life. You cannot hate a brother. You cannot hate a sister and walk in faithful consistency with God. Those two things are incompatible. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't process through this. And there is a process. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about mine uh, this morning as we walk through it. But let's go ahead and read this passage and, uh, and then we'll walk back through it verse by verse. It starts in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, began to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. He says, you wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus ends with these words. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister. And he adds this phrase, from your heart. 
All right, well, let's talk about this. Let's go back to verse 21 if we can. So here's what's happening. Um, in verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus. Now, what you need to know is the context behind this or before this is in Matthew 18, um, there has been a description of a conflict resolution process in Matthew 18 that all Christians are supposed to go through. And it's a threefold process. Basically, when you're offended by someone or you offend someone else, you go to that person, it's quiet, it's dignified, there's no conflict, you're not throwing gasoline on the fire, you're trying to resolve the problem, and you go to that person one-on-one. And if there's resolution to it, praise God, and you move on, right? But if that doesn't work, then the next thing is you bring somebody else, another follower of, of Jesus, you both bring it, And again, the goal here is to resolve the problem, not to cause drama, but basically you go and you say, I want you to repent of your sin towards me. And if they don't, then you bring them before the church and that basically escalates from there. So at the end of this, Peter, as well as all the other disciples are wrestling with this issue of like, what does it mean to actually forgive someone? And when do you become a sucker because you're forgiving? Like when is too much forgiveness just mean that you're a doormat and that you're failing at being a moral person? And so he comes and he asks this question. Hey, Jesus, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now there's a context behind this too, and that is this, that in the, um, in the rabbinical law, you got the law of Moses in the Old Testament, which is binding, but then rabbis interpreted the law of Moses and that is rabbinical law. And that was also binding on the hearts and minds of people in the first century. And so you come to your rabbi, you say, what does that mean? So he says, all right. So in the background, the rabbi comes and he says, all right, look, Here's the rule of forgiveness. Yes, you have to forgive. That's what we do. We're, we're followers, we're Jews, we're followers of Christian later. We're, we are people who forgive, but how much? And so in rabbinical law, you only had to forgive three times, right? And it's not three times like in your whole life with a person, right? It's three times that someone has done the same thing to you over and over and over again, right? And the idea behind this was the rabbi thought to himself, well, okay, listen, if that person comes to you and says, I'm sorry for, the, for one time, then you should just forgive them and move on. Second time, just forgive them, move on. Third time, at some point, you realize that this person doesn't actually want forgiveness. They just want a free pass. And so the, why, the, why, the wisdom of the rabbis was, you got to move beyond all of that. You got to let that go because you are now free from the burden of having to forgive someone. Sometimes forgiveness feels like a burden. We'll talk more about that later. But, but for, for, for Peter, what he knew is in his, in his interactions with Jesus is that Jesus often responded much more, and I mean this in the, the sense of generosity, like he responded in a much more liberal way. Like he was always more forgiveness or more grace or more mercy to the people that he was interacting with. And so Peter, knowing rabbinical law, that three was the acceptable time in which a good Jew could say, no longer do I have to forgive someone else. But he also knows Jesus being a rabbi as well and how he totally did things differently. He tries to be really, really smart. And he goes, okay, so if it's three for them, I'm gonna say Jesus is gonna go more than three. So he's like, I'm gonna double it. And then I'm just gonna add one more forgiveness for the heck of it, right? And he's, and he's thinking to himself, Jesus is gonna be impressed with this. This is gonna be fantastic. But that's actually not what happens. Um, in fact, what Jesus says to them right here would actually have been considered very, very ridiculous. Very ridiculous. It's not that they were discounting Jesus, but they would think to themselves, there's no way that this is possible. If it's reasonable to forgive three times, then man, let's be extraordinary like Peter and do it for seven times. And one of the principles that we learned last week that with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And for some of you, you're in that same situation right now where you're asking, when can I stop forgiving them because they continue to be a jerk to me over and over and over again? When is 
enough, enough. When can we stop? And Jesus's response to this is so extraordinary. He says, he says this, verse 22, Jesus answered him, Peter, listen, I tell you, it's not seven times, even though that was a good try, my, my friend, but it's 70 times seven, right? And so some of you are doing the math in your head, like that's 490 times. So I'm supposed to forgive someone 490 times? And the answer to that is no, that's not his point. Because again, we're not legalists. The law, the law is what you and I can do, right? The law is three times. That's reasonable. It makes sense. That's right. Let's do that. Let's just forgive them three times and then let's move on. When Jesus brings this ridiculous idea of 490 times, what he's basically saying is he's saying, listen, listen, I want you to have a sense of extraordinary, extravagant forgiveness. There's never a time where we just go, man, I'm just, you know, I'm never, ever going to forgive you. And that causes a lot of pain for some of you because you're going, Pastor Mike, you don't know. We've heard your story. We know the abuse background, the violence that you grew up in, all that. But you don't know my story. You don't know the bad things that they did to me, that he did to me, that she did to me, that they did to me. I can't forgive. There's no way that I can forgive. And you're right, in the flesh, according to the law, there's no way that you can do that. You absolutely can't. This requires you to make some choices. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. This requires you to make some choices, but there is also a spiritual component to this that you will be able to forgive to the degree, tune in. You will be able to forgive to the degree to which you have been and recognized your own forgiveness. And this is why, if I was not a Christian, I wouldn't forgive anyone because it's not in my nature. Like, like you hurt me, I wanna hurt you back. But the spirit is like, no, no, no. That's a totally different world. That's a different kingdom. When we follow Jesus, we're guided not by our flesh, but by the Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to do it 70 times seven, as much as you possibly can, as much as the grace that I have given you has. So let's define forgiveness right now, because some of you are going like, I don't, I don't even know what that is. What is forgiveness? And based on some definitions that you, you carry around with you in the room right now, this may be the reason why you've stuck with unforgiveness for so long. So here's the, up on the screen, definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is choosing not to hold a guilty person accountable. Forgiveness is choosing not to hold a guilty person accountable. I've used this definition for years. When I was a counselor and a therapist, I would use this in counseling all the time. So let's talk about it. First of all, I want you to note that forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. If you are waiting for the day that you feel good enough about the person who did the terrible thing to you, in order to forgive them, you will never ever come to a place of forgiveness in your life. Forgiveness is not a feeling at all. Forgiveness is a choice. It's something that we have to choose and it's choosing not to hold a guilty person accountable. So I want you to see the second thing about this definition. Only guilty people need to be forgiven. When someone does something to you and it's an accident, they don't need to ask your forgiveness for that. It's an accident. But forgiveness comes when, when, forgiveness comes when you realize that you've been wounded or you've done something wrong to someone else. Forgiveness is choosing to not hold somebody who is guilty accountable. You know why it's important? Because for some of you, you think, if I forgive them, it means that I've put a stamp of approval on what they've done. If I forget them, forgive them, it's letting them off the hook. But the reality of that is this. You're not letting them off the hook. You're letting you off the hook. Because until you're able to let them go, 
until you're able to forgive them, you'll always be in bondage to that person. And they will always have control of your life. Forgiveness is a choice. And that choice is to choose not to hold a guilty person accountable. But what's fantastic about that definition is that it reminds us also of our own condition before God. And that is that we are also guilty. Guilty people are the only people that need to be forgiven and guilty people are the only people that get to go to heaven. Forgiveness is a choice not to hold a guilty person accountable. We'll talk more about that in a second. But let's talk about what forgiveness is not for a second. We just talked about what it is. Forgiveness is choosing not to hold a guilty person accountable. But what is forgiveness not? Well, number one, forgiveness doesn't happen between two people. It happens inside of the person who was wounded. You know, you know, in the Bible, it says this. It says, um, a wise man and a wise woman overlooks an offense. That means that when somebody says a careless word to you, the wise thing for you to do is just go, no big deal, just fine, let's move on. You just gotta, you got, there are certain, there is a certain degree of things that we just have, kind of have to just suck it up in life, right? Just, it was terrible, that was not great, just get over it, let's move on. There's no need to get drama about everything. But when the Bible talks about forgiveness, it's talking about those soul-crushing kind of things, those kind of things that hurt deeply, and you can't just overlook that. If you try, that is an irresponsible use of your forgiveness. You're not working on it, right? Forgiveness doesn't happen between two people. You can't base whether or not you're gonna forgive someone on whether they're going to change or not. Did you hear that? You can't base your forgiveness on whether or not they're gonna change. One of the best things the father did to me, my father in heaven did to me, from my father in this world, was he, in my, when one of my uh, prayer times, the Lord said, I want you to stop thinking that your father will ever change. And that changed everything about my communication with him. Do you know why? You know what hurts you? What hurts you is the belief, the faith, that the person will actually change and should be a moral and good person. That's what hurts you. But when I was able to dissociate that and say, that's not how I'm gonna, that's not how I'm gonna roll anymore, I started accepting him for who he was, where he was. And in that situation, what changed in my relationship with him was the last five years of his life, I wasn't his son, I was his pastor. And I talked Jesus to him all the time. It changed our relationship dramatically. And the irony of that great thing that he did for me was I stopped asking him to be a better person. And that allowed me to love him better in the moment. I could never have forgiven him if I waited for him to be a decent person. My last image of my father is in his hospital bed in his living room. And he had become a Christian a year before he died, but he never had victory in his life. He had never overcome the problems of his life. So he has a Bible in one hand and a doer's scotch in the other. And he died that way. He never became the person I wanted him to be. But can I just give you a little hope? I, think, I didn't say this in any of the other services, but it just kind of looked like the Lord just put it in my head. For some of you, this is what you need to hear. You may never have the relationship that you want with that person in this life. But, but my great hope is that one day I'll see my father in heaven and I'll know the man God created without all the vandalization of sin and destruction. For the majority of my life, I will know a great 
father. And you just need to know that maybe this life does not hold the forgiveness that you will find, but the next life does. Number two, forgiveness is not about reunion with the person who hurt us. Sometimes you have to say, I'm not gonna, I've got to place a boundary here. Forgiveness is not devoid of boundaries. One of the things, the ways my wife and I did this with my father was, uh, he was never alone with any of our children by himself. I don't necessarily think he would have done anything terrible, but I didn't want to transfer any of the stuff that he did to me onto my children. I wanted to break that chain in my family. I wanted to break that generational curse, right? And so what happens is there's forgiveness is not always about reunion with the person who hurt us. The third one's very similar. Look at this. The third one is forgiveness does not obligate us to go back to the person who hurt us. So for some of you, that means that you're going to have to forgive someone who will remain toxic and yet you have to limit the accessibility to your life that they have. For some of you, you just have to say, we can't be in relationship with you. That's not a sin, right? It's a, it's a choice. By the way, this right here comes from uh, Lewis Mead's The Art of Forgiving. Best book I've ever read on forgiveness. You should go out and get it if this is an issue for you. The other one is the second best book, also written by him. It's called The uh, Forgive and Forget. For, forgive and forget. They're both fantastic uh, books. So what does forgiveness look like? Look at what it says, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you, right? This is what we are. We're supposed to be kind. This is a fruit of the spirit. Kindness is a fruit of the spirit. We're supposed to be kind and compassionate people. It is so discouraging to me today how many Christians are so mean and angry. Like I, just, I don't get it. I, this is not who we're supposed to be. You're like, but the world's messed up. It's always been messed up. Like it has always been messed. There is no such thing as the good old days. I grew up in the 80s. They suck too, okay? Like there's, there, there was never a time when everything was beautiful and perfect after they left Eden. There's never been that time. But here's what I did the other day. I was, I was on TikTok, which is fabulous. And, uh, and uh, I was on TikTok and uh, I, was, um, <laughs> I was looking at this amazing um, this, have you seen the stuff that was going on in uh, Asbury Seminary? Like the revival stuff? I was watching these kids just worship, right? And they were just praising God. They were doing all these incredible things. It was, it's, they were singing these old hymns that I remember singing like 25 years ago. It was beautiful. And then I went on the, 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 the comments because that's the best part of TikTok. And, uh, and I started looking at them and it was so discouraging to see how many Christians were just judging. And so many Christians were just like, well, where's the repentance? I'm like, it's a 20 second clip, pal. Were we sp- like, we're supposed to put everything in this one 20-second clip, you know? I'm just like, that's so dumb. I actually said my first mean comment. <laughs> and it's under Pastor Mike Adkins, right? I don't have, like, a secret handle on TikTok. <laughs> it's like, okay. And, and, and it was just one of those things where I'm like, this is, this is extremely rude. What about celebrating the beauty of what God's doing? We're supposed to be kind and compassionate when we're not. We're not, celebra- we're not celebrating Jesus. We're celebrating ourselves. Kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. The foundation of Christian forgiveness is the fact that we have been forgiven, that we are guilty before the Father. But, the, but, but when you, especially if you're outside the church, you're online right now, you're trying to figure out your relationship with God. Here's the thing. When we realize, when we call ourselves sinners, it's not because, it's not because like we see ourselves with bad self-esteem. That's not it at all. We see ourselves in a true diagnosis. When we see ourselves as sinners, we see ourselves where we are. It explains 
all kinds of things. Why do we act the way that we act sometimes? Because we're prone towards sin. And when you understand that, that gives you an ability to love other people well. Why? Because I'm not walking in self-righteousness. I don't walk around thinking I'm better than you. Because of that, when I see you fall down and make mistakes, I'm not surprised. Oh my goodness. I go, she's a sinner. Of course she fell down. We all do that. The way to be forgiving in the world is not to look at them, it is to look at us and realize I have been forgiven so much. And this is the whole point of this passage. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king, this king is God in the story, who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, that's us. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Check this out, 10,000 bags of gold. So in some of your Bibles, it says 10,000 talents, T-A-L-E-N-T-S. And a talent is a piece of gold. One talent, one of these pieces of the 10,000, one of these pieces of gold was equivalent to the average laborer 15 to 20 years of work. So when Jesus says this, he says, not only are we supposed to forgive all these times, but there is a debt that we owe God and it's 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 lifetimes of what we owe him. And the reason why he makes this number so big is because you and I are tempted to make our sins so small. Oh, I just have these little struggles. I just have this little thing. But what God does, he's just like, I want you to magnify that and realize that your sin debt against me is ginormous. There's no way. It's billions and billions and billions, maybe even trillions of dollars. You'll never be able to repay it. And because of that, because of that, we don't have any recourse to fix the problem. So look at what happens next. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he, his wife and children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. Now, this was not a practice in Israel. So what Jesus does is he pulls a practice from some of the pagan nations around him, which it was very, very uh, common in those nations that if you could not pay your debt, you would have to sell a child. Sounds horrifying to us because it is horrifying. But to sell a child would mean you would only take off seven years seven years of your debt to someone. And this is billions and billions and billions and billions of years of debt right here. And so the servant, like you and me, there's no recourse here. There's no way out. He does what, was, what is appropriate. Verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before the great king. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. I want you to see the radical nature of this forgiveness. This forgiveness is, is that even though he has no ability to repay it, and even though he's lying, I will repay everything. There's no way that anyone would have thought that he could. There's no way that he could repay that. Even though he says, I'll fix this, God, the servant's master did what? He took pity on him and he canceled his debt. In our case, it's exactly the same thing. The father takes pity on us. It's why we go to heaven, not because we're awesome, not because we've generated some great morality that's deeper than everyone else's, but the father looks down at us and he goes, man, you guys are so messed up. The world is broken. It's been vandalized by sin. Here's what I want. I want you. And so what he does is he takes a guilty person because forgiveness is choosing not to hold a guilty person accountable. And he takes all the guilt of me and he shoves it on Jesus. And Jesus bears the weight of my guilt and all of my punishment and the guilt and punishment of you as well. And it's for one reason, pity. The father says, you have no way out other than this. And I will pity you and I will cancel your debt. 
I will cancel your debt. And we're in the background going, I'll pay it all back one day. And he's like, I know you won't. I know you never will. But I will take pity on you and I'll cancel the debt. And he freed him. And immediately, that should lead to a transformed life. Why? Well, because all I've lived now, my whole life is just grace. It is the goodness of God, the mercies of God, the grace of God poured out on my life. I don't have any rights to his mercy, but he gave us that right by sending us Jesus into the world. Micah, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, responds to this in chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you? I mean, who is like you, God? Who is this forgiving? Who is this great? Who is this merciful? You who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions and the remnants of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. So when we confess our sins, when I talk about it during communion, when we confess our sins, the father's not up there going, man, that's just, what is that? Like 28,000? Like how many sins do I have to forgive? It's not his heart. His attitude behind the scenes is, I will not stay angry with you forever. It's always disappointing when a son or a daughter does something that we don't want them to do, that we know is destructive to their life or the life of someone else. And we might get angry for a moment, but that doesn't last forever. And he delights to show mercy to us even when we're doing wrong. He says, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot. In other words, you'll take our sins, you'll just crush them as if they had never existed. You'll take our uh, iniquities and you'll hurl them into the oceans. What is an iniquity? It's worse than a sin. Sins are things that we do, sometimes consciously and not consciously. Iniquities are when we choose knowing God's plan is the opposite of what we're choosing. I choose this. And he says, I'll take all that and I'll chuck it into the ocean like it never happened. So it cannot be attached to you anymore. But Christians, this is the foundation of our forgiveness for everyone else. The ground of our forgiveness is not that we're good people, but that we're guilty people who have been rescued by God. And he has compassion on us. And that compassion doesn't just lie with us. It extends from us to others. In the book of the law in Exodus, Old Testament. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Look at the Christian God. I'm... I never knew a father who was slow to anger. In a minute, he would just light up and we were always scared. And he was just a human father. This would be terrifying, but God is different. He is slow to anger. He's abounding, which means overflowing in love and faithfulness. He maintains our love, not us, but he is maintaining our love to thousands and forgiving the wickedness and the rebellion of sin. Only guilty people go to heaven. The ones who believe that they are not guilty don't get to go. The ones who have self-righteousness are excluded, not because God cast them out, but because they don't come. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, that's our part. If we bring it before the Father, he is faithful to us. When we have not been faithful, he is faithful to us. To, what does he do? He's faithful to forgive us our sins and then to clean us up on the inside and then to take away the pollution that's on the inside as well, unrighteousness. Paul turns these deeds of God towards us and then says, because you have received this great mercy, now we give to everyone else. He says, bear with one another 
And by the way, when you're bearing with someone else, it's hard, right? Like you're having to get over something, right? Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive others. Paul gives us the command, basically, listen, if you have been forgiven by God, then what we have to do is we have to forgive as we have been forgiven. There is a grace to this. There is a mercy to this. So I want you to see up on the screen real quick. If we want to receive mercy, if we want to receive sanctuary from God, we have to be willing to give sanctuary to others. We talked about this principle probably four or five, six weeks ago. The second principle is very similar to it. If we want to receive forgiveness from God, we have to be willing also to give forgiveness to others. Like it flows out of the Christian heart that recognizes its position before the Father. And then in verse 32, the, the, the one who has been forgiven does something unforgivable or what seems to be unforgivable. And everybody listening to this next thing that happens would think just like we do, this is unjust and a not right thing. That this is a bad man, verse 32. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then in verse 35, this is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister, not by law, not because you have to, but from the heart. Why? From the heart. Well, the heart shows or reveals to us rather whether or not we believe what God has done for us. Listen, the more forgiving Christian you run into is because that person knows that they've been forgiven much. The Christian who does not forgive very much is the one who is immature in their faith and the one who says, I'm fine on my own. There was a, 500 years ago, there was a guy named Martin Luther and he was a Catholic priest and he was a reformer. He was trying to change the Catholic church, which actually inevitably uh, basically began the Protestant revolution, the churches that we have today. But one day he's coming to one of his father confessors. And the thing about Luther is that he had an overactive conscience. He was very, very worried about all of his sins because he believed in some way that if he died with a sin unconfessed, that he would die and go to hell. That's not true, but that's what he believed. And so he'd run to the father, right? He would run to his father confessor. He'd say, Father, forgive me for I've sinned. Go through the whole process of Catholic. How many Catholics in the room were former? Okay, all right, so you guys know, right? So you go to the priest, you say, your, you say your, your, your confessions, right? And then he would leave the abbey that he was in, right? The church he was in, and then he would think of something sinful and he would run right back in and he'd go back to the guy again, right? Now you can imagine how annoying this would be for the father confessor, right? So at one point he goes, Martin, I think you've misunderstood your condition before God. And this is so beautiful. He uses this Latin phrase, it's called simul iustus et peccator, simultaneously righteous and simultaneously sinner. And he says, all of us have these two identities in Christ. And it just depends upon the camera angle that, that God looks from, right? So on the one hand, we are sinners, right? We are sinners. And on the other hand, we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. Now, unfortunately today, many Christians are just clothed with self-righteousness. You know what that means, right? Like self-righteousness means that I believe I'm good enough to justify myself. I'm good enough to get to heaven on my own, right? I'm a good person. The problem with that is this. When you have an overactive conscience or when you're trying to figure out something, you messed up in some way, you're gonna go between these two poles and you're gonna go back, you're gonna bounce back and forth of them. So he said, Luther, when you find yourself 
filled with self-righteousness. Remember that you, before, the, before a perfect and holy God, are a sinner in need of salvation and grace. Every breath you take is a mercy from God. And when you find yourself condemning yourself and overwhelmed, we would call it self-esteem, when you find all of that in the toilet, and you're going, I'm not a valuable person, remind yourself that you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, that God sent his son into into this world to die for your sins because he loved you that much, you cannot be of no value. And this is what we do. This is what it means to be Christian. We run back and forth between these two things. Some days you're gonna wake up and go, I don't even wanna pray. Like I can't do anything spiritually right now. And we run back to the word. We run back to the scriptures and they teach us that there is a righteousness given to us by the father, that we're not good on our own, that he loves us so much that he said, I choose you even in all of your separation and filth. I love you that much. And then when we find ourselves destroyed over here, I have clothed you with righteousness. You are not a broken down old vessel anymore. You are my daughter. You are my son. Three steps toward forgiveness. One, we rediscover the humanity of the person who hurt us. I think the spirit does this for us. I think... When, my, when, the, when the father came to me and said, hey, you need to start praying for your dad again, That's, this was at the end of a seven-year period. I'd cut him out of my life. Hadn't talked to him at all. And he said, I just want you to start praying. I don't want you to go see him. I don't want you to do anything. Just start praying for him. And as I started praying for him, my heart started changing toward him. I didn't wake up one day and say, hey, yeah, you remember that awesome time you choked me out when I was six? I never had fond feelings. Don't wait for the feelings to come to forgive or you will always be in bondage to that person. Instead, the Father changed my, <laughs> the Father changed my heart. I'll remember, I just, I didn't say this in the other services either, but here's, here's my wife and I are sitting and it was the first time I introduced her to my father. And for some reason he was drunk and not for some, he was always drunk, but we, he, got, he got super mad. He punched a hole in the wall and I went out into the car and I was sitting there with my then girlfriend, who's now my wife. And I started to cry and I'm so, and I'm so embarrassed. I'm so, I'm so sorry. Her father was a Southern Baptist minister, but not the mean kind, you know, like super gentle, amazing, never raised his voice kind of guy. So I was just terrified for her to see this. And she started laughing at me. And I was like, you are the least compassionate person I've ever met in my whole life. She goes, no, Mike. She goes, your father is a child. He had a temper tantrum. That's all that was. For me, my father loomed larger than life when I was a kid. And in that moment, when God gave her those words, he became really small in my sight. And that made me pity him, which led me not to fear him, but to try to take care of him. God can change. You have to rediscover the humanity of the person who hurt you. Number two, We have to surrender our right to get even. And you know how you'll know whether or not you've done that? You'll stop arguing with them in your head. You know the ones where you have these arguments with them and you're always right, it always comes out and it like works, like you're super smart, they're dumb. You know, like, you know that? When you stop doing that, you'll know that you've surrendered your right to get even. It doesn't matter what they do with their life. It matters what God does inside of you and how he sets you free. Number three, we revise our feelings towards the person who hurt us. 
And that's something I feel, feel like as you take these steps. When you make the choice, you're not going to change right away. And that choice is not a once and for all thing. You choose it, and then you rechoose it, you rechoose it, you rechoose it until it becomes second nature. That's how we change. Trust God. Don't leave the room right now without at least the commitment in your heart to say, today, I will choose to forgive and begin that process. Grab those books, start down that road. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you, God, that you have such great wisdom that penetrates the heart and the mind. We are so thankful that um, you've given us examples that really do challenge us. It is not easy, God. It is not easy to forgive someone who has hurt us so deeply. But Lord, all things are possible through you. I pray, God, that you guide us and lead us in exactly the way that we need to go so that we can remember that we are sinners. And because of that, we can be grace-filled towards everyone who's fallen short. Thank you that only the guilty go to heaven. Thank you that only the guilty are able to forgive. Help us to do the same for others. It's in your name we pray. Amen.